On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I are joined by a mystery guest who is a leading, one of the top advantage players out there, um, does casino games, sports, etc. We talk a lot about the ethics of advantage play, and we talk about one of our favorite people, Spanky, for quite some time. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where. I did this incredible intro earlier and a great joke and made a funny joke about Rufus and his shitty internet. But uh, because our guest is uh, veiled in, in mystery or shrouded in mystery, whatever the word is, we, we didn't, we're not going to use his real name. Um, and we're only going to use his handle, which is Sarah Mech. Um, when Rufus and I were talking about the concept of advantage players, I actually... Um, you know, talked to him and asked him for a suggestion on who the best person to have on would be. And he mentioned um, our guest. And I'm going to try very hard to not mention our guest's name the whole time. You guys are going to have to guess who our guest is at some point. But anyways, welcome um, person whose name I'm not going to mention um, <laughs> to, the, to the Bet the Process podcast. Thank so, you. So thanks, we know. Jeff. Thanks. Thanks, Rufus. And yeah, um, a real pleasure to be here. I'm a, a genuine fanboy of you both. So, um, yeah, the pleasure is definitely mine, and I appreciate the discretion on my name as well. Yeah, well, we can maybe just talk about how much you like Rufus and I, because that seems like something we could fill about 50 minutes with. Rufus right. and I would both love that a lot. Um, so do you guys even know why the two of you know each other? So the two of you, these guys know each other better than I do, because I've actually never met um, our guest in person, um, and I've only exchanged some some um, online messages with him. Well, I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah, I I reached out to Rufus via LinkedIn of all places, and it was a very hopeful reach out. I don't think I've ever truly connected with anyone on LinkedIn um, before I connected with Rufus, especially not someone with someone that doesn't even actually have a job, yeah. right? That's well, like someone that doesn't actually need LinkedIn at all. Like I didn't even know Rufus was on LinkedIn. I didn't yeah, either. Yeah, he doesn't have a LinkedIn. And as far as I could tell, though, he doesn't have anywhere else that you can easily reach out to him at. Uh, maybe his Twitter, I don't know. But I don't even know if he was open to DMs at the time. So in AP fashion, I just took the calculated bet of messaging him on LinkedIn. And thankfully, it worked out. So you just said AP. AP stands for Advantage Player, right? And, and so Correct. what does Advantage Player mean to you? How do you define that? Yeah, advantage player is a term that has been used a lot in the casino, the professional casino player community. So broadly speaking, though, it is a, it is a term used to describe anyone that is looking to beat a game, really, or a system by using some sort of superior skill set, whether it's through analysis, knowledge, uh, a superior process. They're just looking to find an edge. Okay, and so go ahead. Sorry, let, let's start with that. Uh, you, you said a few different things. So 
Rufus would be considered an advantage player in sports betting or, or used to be considered one because he had a superior process or superior data. I, I don't know if that's true over the last, what, couple months. Um, couple but, weeks. Yeah, a couple <laughs> months, actually. That's a good point. Yeah, a couple, couple months. Basically, basically, COVID has made you a non-factor in the sports betting industry and, and a no, no longer advantage player. I'm not but even you a did player. say something about uh, information, right? Or So, so is, does information asymmetry – is that is is that an allowable way to be an advantage player? I think so. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Spanky, I think earlier, Jeff, and I think his a lot of his edge comes from informational asymmetry as well. And whilst he may not call himself AP, I think under the the definition that most people know it as, he would fall under that bracket. So. Give us some examples of um, ways that you've been an advantage player in your life. Well, one of the first ways I was an advantage player was as a blackjack player. Um, actually, what got me into that, Jeff, as cheesy as it sounds, was watching the movie 21. <sighs> and I man. saw that. I, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think it was uh, a good career uh, digression for me. And I must have seen that about 10 years ago now. And I haven't really been able to put the idea, at least the idea of APing out of my head since then. So what kind of stuff did you do in blackjack? Did you, I mean, obviously you did basic card counting, but was, were there other things that, that you did? Yeah, it started off as basic card counting. Um, but once I was introduced to a few people that knew a lot more, of me, a lot more than me in the casino AP community, uh, they started to open my eyes and show me other opportunities that um, they had higher edges. They're kind of harder to find. You really have to scout and work to find them. Uh, but once you do get them, you, you're working with higher edges and you're generally working with less heat as well because the more sophisticated moves, the, the more modern moves generally aren't as well known by the uh, casino surveillance people. So you tend to get away with them for longer. The so more you might modern look like, moves. So you might look like this, this dumb guy making this complete donkey play, but in reality, there's something about the game that they haven't. They yeah, and that's probably how card counters were perceived originally as well, right? Like, I think card counters originally were perceived as dumb idiots making weirds, um, what were informed strategy deviations based on the count appeared to the average casino employee like dumb moves. Yeah, they look like wild fluctuations in betting, right? I mean, th- at yeah. that point, no one understood why they were doing that. And if you had a good, you know, beard to what you're doing, you're going you're gonna to throw people off. Exactly. So what, can you talk about any of these? I, I feel like I am like literally the guy that's like, oh, wait, so you can do video calls now? That's so cool. You can see someone while you're talking to them. What are the new... So some of the edges, give me an example of maybe one of them that you feel comfortable talking about. Yes, one of them I can probably talk about, um, at least on a, on a broad level, is whole carding. Remember, right? there's only seven I mean, people yeah, that I listen was, to this, this podcast. Jeff, so you're you only going to affect the world for seven. Well, I'm one of those seven. So, so six more. Right. So. And my mom, that's another. So Yeah, she's five, not into card counting anyway. Family. So that, we're down to five. Okay, well, maybe I can go into more detail than I thought then. But whole carding is... Uh, the idea of, I mean, this is information, this is coming back to informational asymmetry, Jeff. So the idea of the dealer exposing cards to you that 
you're not supposed to know about in advance. And then you use that advanced information to get an edge over the house. It's, it's pretty basic, really. At that yeah, but so do you guys think that this is something now, now again, that this all started and people make fun of us because we talk about Spanky every podcast, but this did start with a, a Spanky tweet where he was complaining about what happened in the sort of Asian baseball leagues um, where there were a bunch of, um, because of a, sort of a glitch in, you know, BetMGM system that had the start times incorrect, people were allowed to bet a bunch of these baseball games an hour after they started. Um, and, and because of that, had tremendous edge. You know, one of them was a, a game where, I think it was scoreless through the first four or five innings and they put these unders in a bunch of parlays and whatnot. Um, and he basically said that he thought this was sort of like the scummiest form of, and, and that these people should be shot or whatever. Um, do you, do you agree or do you think this is just a fair piece of advantage to play? I think I agree with Spanky that it's a pretty low level. I mean, if it is a ping at all, it's a very low level form of a ping. Um, I guess under the definition I described earlier, this is basically some sort of informational asymmetry. So it probably would fall under that uh, definition of an AP. But why but, is it any wait, different so, than hole carding, right? I mean, hole carding is a mistake, right? Like the, 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 the dealer does not mean to show you the hole card, right? Like yeah. they just have a flaw in their system, which is their dealing, right? That allows you to see a card when they didn't mean to. So now you have something in like the, the actual casino has no idea that you are doing this theoretically, as, as you've said. Um, and, and I'm not saying, I'm just taking a, a point of view of, of, of where is this ethical line? Cause I don't think it's very clear. Yeah, no, I think it's a very fair point of view. Um, and unfortunately I don't really, I mean, having thought about it a bit, I don't think there's some clear sentence or guideline that perfectly separates um, some things that I would consider that you should do and some things that I would consider that you shouldn't. And I think a lot of this just comes down to the person, right? Like what are the ethical considerations? What are the morals? What are their own guidance? And you're going to be, as an AP, you're always going to be operating in some cr kind of gray area, pretty much. And it's up to you as, as an individual to exercise your own judgment as to what you think you should do and what you think you shouldn't. Like, okay, so t to me, blackjack, card, card counting, I don't think there's any ethical dilemma there because you're just trying to use your brain in a way to, to make yourself win. You, you're still playing the same game, right? Whereas I guess the question is like, at what point is it, you know, playing the game under the, the same rules that I guess are established versus essentially um, playing an, a different game um, because you are essentially basically you're saying you're saying that you're fundamentally changing the rules of the game so let, let's let's take a few and and the three of us can talk about whether whether um we would do this ourselves okay so so in other words like let's not talk about whether it's ethical or not let's talk about whether we personally would do this or not well the, so the, the good thing is our, our guest ceramic can actually be a lot more open than we can about this huh well, no, I mean, I can, I, yeah. what, what, we if we be, have done it, you, Rufus, you should be honest. It's not necessarily whether you, this is just saying, it was like, a joke, you, Jeff. no, but like, let's take, let's take for, um, let's take, for example, 
the early days of roulette, right? Where um, Claude Shannon and this is an amazing book that's been written about this where Claude Shannon and Ed Thorpe, Ed Thorpe's the guy that sort of like discovered, created whatever card counting and, and Claude Shannon was uh, disco- like created information theory. And for some reason, these two guys were friends and they basically created the first or one of the first roulette computers that would actually like go and record the roulette wheel. And um, over time would basically, because the way that roulette works is these, these wheels at this time were so, expensive to replace that they would become imperfect and then you if you could record enough data about how they spun you would see that they were biased and then you could bet neighbors and you could make money betting neighbors where you'd have an edge uh is that is this is this something that you guys would do personally so in terms of a biased wheel a wheel where you've gathered enough data to determine that some numbers are more likely to come up than others I would always be prepared to play that. Um, if, but if what make, if you were using a computer to do it? If you're using a computer to gather the data or using a computer to instruct you which bets to place, you know, a computer that you're holding in the casino. A computer and, that you're holding in the casino. And if the, if the casino has a rule of no electronics at the table, then you're, I think you're blatantly violating a rule. Like that is a, that's a rule of the game. But that's not, but so Rufus, here's where, here's where there's a gray area, right? Because there are, there are definitely countries and Will, you can speak to this where card counting is illegal, right? Where Mm -hmm. where the U S card counting is legal, right? But there are countries where they consider card counting to be illegal. Correct. That's literally like saying it's illegal to use your brain and, and bet based off of it. So you're saying that because there's a clear delineation here for what they can say, as what is legal and not that that now you will go with the the idea of legality yeah i mean to me to to legislate thinking and i guess not acting on it i mean yeah based on that like you could legislate like flat betting but i don't understand how you say you know don't card count that's like saying don't pay any attention to what cards have come out like don't use your memory at all forget everything i mean obviously they're not going to go after you know i mean i think there's a lot of people that that sort of, I think, have this notion that they sort of vaguely keep track and they're like, oh, there were a bunch of low cards, a high card is due. I mean, do you consider that card counting? I mean, it's not in any real meaningful way no, no, I, I, in advantage. I don't, but- I, Rufus, I, I think arguing card counting with this crew is a silly thing, right? What, what we're actually arguing now is about like the idea of using a device or the idea of whether if something is legislated as legal or illegal, whether that changes our point of view on whether it's something we would do or not, right? Exactly, and, and you were mentioning that card counting is considered illegal in some places, not in the United States. But, but to, I mean, I guess to me, if you were using a computer, like a computerized device at the table to gain an edge and like that, um, you know, I think that's different than just no, figuring out a bias on a wheel. Although I guess the question is, what if you like came in before with a computer to figure out that bias and then bet mm. without it? Well, that's, again, like, that's the question that I'm asking you guys. Like, Will, specifically you, as someone that, that is looking for edges in casino games and whatnot, um, where, you know, if you had to bring a computer in to somehow do, like, image capture to gather the data or something like that, and, you know, is, is that, you know, computer vision or something, is that something that you would do if you didn't actually have to use the computer later to execute the, the, the plan? 
I'd be very apprehensive to do that in an in a jurisdiction that specifically said devices used in a casino to gain an edge are illegal. But that but it's not a it's not a in that case it's not an ethical issue for you, right? It's it's a legal issue. Yeah, it's both. So one thing we didn't really separate out earlier was how whether something is expressly legal or illegal should affect your decision. And I think for a lot of APs, if something becomes illegal, then that pretty much wipes it off the table in terms of uh, methods and skills that they could use to get an edge. I don't think you're really an AP at that point. No one wants, well, no one wants to get arrested. You can't really be an AP from jail. I guess although there might be some great decision, right? To take a risk of going to jail. There's probably plenty of card games in jail. (laughs) Okay, so let's, so um, I'm going to throw another one out there. Uh, um, Phil Ivey and his Baccarat scam, which I think we've talked about in this podcast, but if you haven't um, heard about this, essentially what he did is he, um, it's kind of a long story, so you need to go read about it if you want to read about it. And there's this wonderful article that was written about it by a guy by the name of Jeff Ma on um, ESPN. Um, so just Google that if you want to read it. But um, what, where do you guys draw the line on that? Yeah, I was really disappointed, obviously, by the outcome of that uh, legal case. I think what they did, from what I understand of what they did, there's nothing there that, to me, is illegal, and they should have got their money. And it is a move I would – I probably wouldn't do it in the U.K., but I would still be happy to do it in the U.S. Do you want to explain a little bit more about what the move yeah, I'll is? Yeah, I'll just do a, explain it really quickly. Essentially what um, – what Phil Phil Ivey did was he he and this woman and the woman is actually turns out right is a real advantage player from what I've heard like I you know they make it sound like in classic sort of unconscious bias they make it sound like Ivey was the mastermind this woman was a Mandarin speaking woman who um, basically there were certain types of cards that they used at casinos that had um, the edges the way they came from the manufacturer were different um, for certain cards than for other cards. And if you were able to see the edges of these cards, you could have a, like a knowledge of what card was going to come. But the only way that you'd be able to do this would be to have the dealer arrange the cards in a certain way as they dealt to you. So he would go um, into the place, they would request a Mandarin speaking dealer, which is not uncommon for sort of a superstitious um, Asian person to, or Chinese person to do. And they would like have them arrange the cards in a certain way. And, and, you know, then they they would basically bet with knowledge of what cards, you know, better knowledge, information asymmetry of what cards were going to be coming. Um, And, uh, and and they did this sort of at at two different casinos um, and made, you know, tens of millions of dollars, right. Is the, is the whole premise behind it. And, um, and late and the casinos basically both refused to pay. um, And because they said that they were essentially cheating. But the, well, it was requested by Phil Ivey and his playing partner, and they said yes to the request. That's how I would see it, right? I Again, mean, like, he, I, so, so it doesn't, this may not even be that interesting because essentially I think we're all going to say that this was, this was something we would do. This was something that wasn't unethical. Um, and it's, in many ways, what I love about this is this is like using the casinos stereotyping against them because, you know, they, stare, they see this old Asian woman coming in, you know, being superstitious and wanting a Mandarin dealer. And they immediately don't think anything of it um, until until it's too late. So yeah, and the move itself has been going on in the U.S. for quite a long time. The actual, as Rufus alluded to earlier, the actual 
uh, formalizing of a, of a request of what is essentially a change in procedure, that was maybe a new twist to it. But the fact that they agreed to it, the fact they went ahead with it, and Phil Ivey and his accomplice didn't do anything really different from what they said they were going to do, um, except kind of play with their brain. Um, yeah. I, well, as so you can tell, I'm not, I don't think that's the sensible outcome. So here's, here's an interesting one. So if we go back to the, the Korean baseball one, the reason why I don't think, and, and so one of the things that I equate this to is um, when you, in an in game, when you see a bad line, right? If you're betting in running and you see a bad line and, and you know, the, it's, it's somewhat similar to that in, in many ways, but, but maybe, maybe not from an ethical standpoint. Um, I think that, you know, in, in these situations, right, when you make this bet, even though you have, like, a really big edge, like, if you bet an under in a, in a scoreless game in the fourth inning, you certainly have a big edge, but you don't have 100%, right? You're still taking risk on. You, you have a, a much better advantage. So to me, that, that's kind of where I draw the line. Now, if, if I bet something after the outcome already happened, it's 100%, I definitely feel like that's a, a you know, crosses the line. But betting when there's still a reasonable amount of risk, and, and I don't know exactly the details of when they bet these and how much risk there was, but the level of risk, I think, to me, there is, there is some, something to that that makes me think about it from, from my own perspective. What do you guys think? Yeah, on, on that one, I, that's an interesting distinction, the idea of if, it's, if you're not assuming any risk at all and it's a lock bet, a guaranteed winner, then ethically it's perhaps slightly worse than if you're taking advantage of what's just a wrong line where you still have some probability of losing. Um, in that case, you're still required to do some calculation as to whether you think you have an edge or not, I guess. But I mean, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of these, especially recently for some reason, uh, and especially in golf markets where they basically, you can tell they've just made a typo, right? Instead of 4.5, odds of 4.5, they're odds of 45. And I, I don't take them because quite often they're just canceled anyway. Um, I guess on some ethical level, I don't want to take them either. And also, and I think Spanky alludes to this in his podcast when he discussed it, there is long-term EV in not taking it, right? If you're purely looking at it as a selfish perspective, as an EV maximizing, as a profit maximizing perspective, you could argue you shouldn't take these, these bets because your account gets closed quicker, you have less long-term traction with your bookie, and you're just going to not make as much money in the future. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree with that. Um, and I do think, and Spanky also pointed out that, that the booker, or the booker, the, the bookmaker better relationship, um, I guess in the U.S. now is very different sort of than the bookmaker better relationship, I guess, used to be, especially in the early days of the offshore world, where, um, where oftentimes, I mean, it, it was sort of a mutual mutually beneficial relationship. I mean, I know Spanky got in legal trouble with, um, with the, the M resort, um, with Cantor gaming with, I mean, they were offlaying some action to Spanky, but essentially Spanky and that was just filling an economic role there. I mean, he was taking, he was taking a bet. He was, he was providing some liquidity for, for the casino. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, we always say, you know, we, we, have great admiration for the pinnacle model, which is actually using information from sharp betters 
um, to set a line. So I guess the question is, does it sort of change how you would view a mistake line um, if it's from a bookmaker that you know is essentially just, it, you know, is an antagonist to you? They treat you like... So, but then, it, then it's like, so this is, this is interesting, right? Because I got um, a text message, I don't know, maybe a week and a half ago from someone um, that said, hey, I just, just want to let you know, I'm sure you're aware of it, but many skins still have Bryson DeChambeau at 28 to 1 for the Masters. I get and, that same message. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we got it from the exact same person. Yep. And uh, now, it, and, then, and then also, like, all the time, like, there's, you know, there's another professional better that I know that will text and be like, hey, if, if you have any of these skins, they haven't reacted to, you know, the, the, the so-and-so injury, blah, blah, or they, you know, so go grab this. I just heard that this person's out, you know, where, again, like certainly betting after a game starts, if, if we say, okay, that's a hundred percent wrong, that's fine. I, I could, I can agree with but that. I don't think you can say that necessarily. Cause what happens if like, what if the game just started and like, you know, a book sometimes will keep it open, wants to keep a game open for a few more minutes because there is a big line or something, you know what I mean? And they, well, they we, know you that. You see that sometimes in second half in second halves, right? Like you see in second halves, they'll leave it open sometimes because they're trying to get some action on the other side because and they, they, as long as like nothing significant has happened. So I don't think you can like, you know, draw a line one place. I mean, but think back in the day, I remember being able to parlay. Um, I parlayed a game, a college football game where the favorite was a 37 point favorite and the total was 51. Now, is that unethical? I mean, a guy at my office at Las Vegas sports consultants told me in the, once he was able to parlay Oklahoma minus 43 with over 45 in some game. Um, is that like, that's essentially, I mean, there's, there's risk, as you said, Jeff, I mean, if, if they don't win the minus 43, you know, you're not winning the over 45, but it is essentially a mistake by the book to, to, to offer these correlated things that they, they aren't really picking up on. So, I mean, I think, to me, the past posting isn't as black and white. It's it's kind of part of this. Um, I mean, it it's it is different. Well, that, that's somehow. that's why we're, right. That's why we're talking about this, right? I mean, because this is the whole nature of advantage play, right? Which is that you're trying to pick off, you're you're trying to pick off situations. You're look, you're looking for edge in any case, and when there's edge, you go after it. And so the the question again it goes back to this idea: like, where is where is the real line here? Um, sports betting is, is the super gray area. Will, do you have any other examples of, of, uh, of things that you've done just because it'd be interesting to bring some new thoughts into this? Areas where, you, you, you know, you've been, you have to exercise your moral judgment, basically, as to what the best way to proceed is. Yeah, like what's another casino game outside of Blackjack that you, so we've talked about roulette, we talk about Baccarat. Um, I, I remember back in the day and, and the person that we have in common, um, was an MIT blackjack, um, player. And I remember they were, they were doing some, some summer, they were playing some version of like Hickok or some card casino card game that like you would play for like hours and your EV was tiny, but they were just grinding it out one summer at Foxwoods. Are there other examples of casino games where, where, you know, you find, I'm sure there's tons where you found. Sure. Little, yeah. There's, there's quite a popular one where you're, you basically lock up uh, a table with all people, you know, and you use the information of the cards that are in your hands to try to narrow down the range of possible cards that the dealer has 
in their hand, right? So if you're dealing from a single deck and you've got six players at the table and each player has, I don't know, six cards in their hand, you now can reduce the, the set of possible cards the dealer has down to like 60, possibly less, right? And is that act of sharing information amongst your friends at the table, a, especially if the casino might have a sign saying, no talking at the table or no showing each other your cards at the table. Is that an ethical boundary that you shouldn't cross? Yeah. And that's the same nature as of, of team play and card counting, right? Like of Collins and, and that the spotter nature was that, that a lot of casinos did not like it when you did team play because they felt like that was really, they were okay with card counting at some level, but team play really pushed it to the next level for them. So Rufus, I don't know. What do you think as a, as someone who's not a blackjack player, the concept of team play or sharing information at the, at the table, is that okay? You always um, ask I mean, me how I to think... play craps. Is that elite? Should that be illegal when I tell you what, how much money to put behind the pass line? Well, only if your advice um, loses me money, but you know, I think um, this isn't, I mean, I think one argument that you hear people make is that, the, you know, a sports book or a casino isn't going to refund you your money if you're essentially exploiting one of these things and lose. What, how, do you, how do you respond to something like that? Yeah, that sucks because they're basically just free rolling you, right? Exactly. And this is, this is part of the problem because, and, and this is maybe contradictory to what Spanky was saying in his podcast, that there is this kind of adversarial relationship, this cat and mouse between the casino or the bookie and the, and the AP and the player, right? And if, if one side starts taking shots at the other, like the casino free rolling you, it makes you more inclined to start taking shots back at the casino. But if you are spanky and you know the guy that you're betting against and you have a good relationship with them and you know that you're not taking shots at each other and you somehow make it a win-win relationship, then yeah, it seems really dumb to start like betting these typo errors on books and completely sabotage the, the relationship. Yeah, but again, that's if the eth- the ethics thing is is a gray area. That's more like relationship management to me because you're not doing you you're not you're doing it ultimately because you feel like it's lo- more positive EV for you long term. That's a good point, but I think sometimes if the relationship isn't managed well, then that's when the potential ethical stuff can come up. I mean, like let's say let's say there's a book that just keep that limits you down to nothing. I mean, and you're gonna like. You might, you might be inclined to say, fuck them. I'm just going to get a bunch of my friends, sign them up and just like pounce on absolutely everything, you know? Right. So it doesn't, I, doesn't 10 K that you make off that book that limited you to pathetic limits feel a lot sweeter than taking 10,000 off some book. You have a collaborative, happy, long-term relationship with. For sure. And you know, if there's a book that gives me what I think are fair limits and stuff, I will point out if, if, you know, if, um, after, if there's an error, it, though. No, I mean, I'll say if, if there's an obvious error, I'll, I'll say that. Or, and, and I know because I know that they're going to be fair to me. And so I'm going to be fair to them because I want to keep that. But you're right, Jeff. It's because I would, the EV from that relationship is, you know, it's, it's, it's long-term positive EV. But also because I, I kind of feel like I want to reward books that I, I feel like are doing it the right way. Because, I mean, that's something I think that all of us in this call kind of like agree with that's, you know, books being run that way 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are there's definitely times where there are bets that that you see or things that you do, and you're just like, I I don't want to wear that out. Like that's not, you know, like that will definitely be a problem if I do that if I if I bet that too many times or if I you know whatever. Anyways, okay, let's move on from this. Now, what what are you um well what are you occupying your time with right now? Are you doing a lot of golf betting? Rufus was saying that there's golf information to be shared. Yeah, actually, most of the COVID period, I just spent trying to improve uh, our golf model. And I have been working. I mean, it's not like it's been some sort of three-month project and suddenly I'm at where I'm at. It's taken me about two years to get to this point. And as I said at the start of the podcast, you know, I'm a fanboy of, of Rufus. And I've been trying to emulate his golf model in some way and trying to pick his brain. Um, Hopefully not too, not too evenly. You know, he's very cagey about this when you talk, try to talk to him about things because he doesn't want smarter people than him getting an edge on, on him. Well, I have There's to no say, I have to say uh, our guest actually is responsible for one of the bigger innovations I've made. Um, and he showed me this interface uh, during the ski trip, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, he showed me this interface he'd built for his golf. And I was like, man, I need something like that. Like, a, a, And so I basically, now I have a, a web I guess I don't, a web page. He, he, showed, he, he showed yeah. you like a web app and you're like, Basically, holy cow, yeah. exactly. I don't need to do all this stuff in Excel. I can actually have this be accessible to me wherever I am. And you're saying that these files are in something called the cloud. That's They're, amazing. The files are in the computer. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the ski trip. So the whole reason that I, we met and, and um, our guest messaged me on LinkedIn and said, Hey, there's this, sort of ski trip we take with uh, a bunch of professional betters and advantage. It didn't players. work with you though, Jeff. No. Well, I just, I, I would love cool to come. It's just, no, yeah, you know, I just, He's I have a, kiddo. a family kiddos. and you know, I, the, the most, most of the problem with me is like, I grew up skiing um, since I was three until I was 18. And then I just have not really skied since I was like in my early twenties. So uh, the idea of getting to mammoth and, and putting all this equipment on and whatnot, it just seems getting all this equipment. It, it seems hard, but I will definitely try to come to the next one. And if I don't ski, just sit around and, and do the opera ski during the ski. Um, but tell you us could, a little you bit could about participate this. in board game day with Spanky. Is that what he does? Skiing. Yeah. He, had, like, he brought all the games that in that now than they actually, what ski. board games do you play? I agree. I've become during quarantine. I think my greatest skill is I've become like an incredible Catan player. I wouldn't. I'm not ready to go to like Catan tournaments and and really just like I probably play three games a night now online, and then you know that's that's like what I do. Like it, and it's a major nerd alert kind of thing. But that's like the thing that I think is keeping my brain sharp. So, I don't anyways, so tell tell us about this ski trip and and sort of like what happens and and the type of people that go on it. Yeah, so well, it all started about five years ago, very casually, when my business partner, I was living in Vegas, playing blackjack and other games full time. And we'd been working pretty hard. And we both are keen skiers. So we just decided to go skiing. And we thought it'd be cool to have some people along. So we didn't really think people would come, but we put out a few invitations. And I think the first year there was about, surprisingly, it was about 10 or 12 of us. And it was a lot of fun. And you know, we all wanted to do it again next year. And I guess just to use a really bad pun, it just kind of snowballed from there. And now it's five years in, quite a bit more 
still very casual, still very just to focus on hanging out and having fun, but a bit more organized and quite a few more people. And you do, and the nature of the people are, are all professional spe- sports bettors. Like what, what, what would you call that? Yeah. So it started off basically just as blackjack players. And then we had the idea to try and broaden it out, right? Just try and expand the circle a little bit and bring in some different mindsets, some people from still in the AP world, as we called it, but applying those AP disciplines in different markets and in different ways. And steadily that's, that the presence of non-blackjack people, non-casino APs has grown over the years. And I want to say like from, I've been there two years and it's fantastic. I mean, I've met a lot of really, really smart people and and kind of learned a lot from other people approaching different, like how people are approaching slightly different problems in, you know, in in the AP world and, Um, and other people's processes. What, what is the most interesting sort of AP learning experience person that like um you know i've seen that there's like some presentations that happen which i think is awesome like what's the biggest example of something you've learned on one of those trips that that you wouldn't have expected to learn or or what are you know what what is an example of something that like is applicable like we we had and i'll i'll buy a little bit of time for you guys to think about this but we we had james holzauer on and you know obviously jeopardy james blah 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 and i thought the most fascinating thing about him was him as an advantage player, basically looking at Jeopardy and breaking down the rules and, and reinventing it to create an edge that no one else had. Um, And, you know, that's, um, I I found that fascinating as a concept. So what are some examples of of things you've learned from that, you know, at that event from other people that, that, you know, would, would be interesting to our uh, six listeners? Um, I think the most fascinating thing I, I learned was actually this year where I basically, uh, there was a presentation where someone, I don't want to like give out any names because I don't know who's okay with me saying um, their name. So I won't, oh but, but there was a presentation where somebody walked, uh, basically took us through their process of figuring out how to come up with a, um, a system, essentially a, um, like, like a card counting system, but um, for a, a system for beating some sort of um, casino game where with like simulations and basically um, looking at, I mean, it was very simulation driven, um, but it was, it was a very methodical approach. And I was just like, this is just approached in the most logical way possible. And, you know, you sort of, you, you try something simple, then you can build on it and, and you see what the returns are. And, and I was like, this is like, I mean, it, it just kind of blew my mind. Um, I, I was super impressed. Yeah. Just to feed off a little bit what Rufus said, the, the year before, that same guy did a presentation actually on a, on a different game. And the reason he was happy to present on it was that the game had already been burnt out, right? There was nowhere else, at least he thought, there was nowhere else it, it was being offered in a casino that you could go and play it at. And actually someone in the audience still knew of one casino that was still offering that game. And so I pulled him to one side after the, after the presentation, said, hey, it's still going on here. And shortly after the ski trip, a crew of six people, I think actually more, like eight people, uh, all people from the ski trip went to go and play that game. Now, I should be honest and say the outcome of that game was not very successful. We were told to bugger off pretty quickly. But well, if it's burnt out, can't you explain what the game is? It's, well, it actually speaks to what I was talking about earlier with the sharing oh, information got it. on cards, right? So okay. people locking up the table, 
sharing information on what cards they have to try and narrow down the, the possible range of cards the dealer has, and then using that information to play your hand optimally. All right, so we have uh, like 12-ish minutes left. I think maybe we should can talk about some specific sports betting stuff. Um, going into Muirfield, uh, second week in a row, um, what, what are some bets that you guys are looking at? Who are some players? Um, it seems like Rory or JT are like sort of the odds-on favorites, I would guess. Um, you know, where do you guys – where do you think any value will come – and from, an, from a modeling perspective, what um, kind of value would you give to the players like Morikawa or JT that played this last week and did well? Yeah, well, it's a really interesting situation where you've got, I, I don't know a time, Rufus has been in golf longer than I have, so he can probably speak to this better than I can. But I don't know a time where we've played a tournament at the same course in back-to-back weeks, right? And my model, the data that it's built on, I don't think within that there is an example of that happening. So my model is now having to deal with a situation that it's not really trained for. And at that point, I have to decide whether I should kind of get my fingers in the pie a bit and make subjective adjustments to try and say, normalize things a bit, or if I should just let it run its course and follow it blindly. You know, I'm I'm up against largely the same thing. I mean, I think, you know, I, I can make tweaks to things and, and I think logic would dictate that, you know, how a guy played last week, you know, should have a greater impact than how, you know, a, a, than, than typically um, the previous week would because the course is going to be, is the same course. But the thing is the course isn't going to actually be the same. Um, it's, you know, the rough is being grown out. The greens are going to be a lot faster. It's, it's, I think it's going to play a lot more difficult. I would guess probably about, you know, I think, um, a stroke and a half tougher per round um, would be my, my guess. So I think it actually will, you know, I think the skill sets advantage will be slightly different. Um, And I think it's going to play more like the Memorial tournaments in the past. Whereas last week it was kind of set up is an easier, an easier course. And, and so that profiled, you know, there's certain things that that sort of will, will favor, but I mean, I guess the, I don't know about I love when Rufus talks in veiled ways. There are certain things that, but so like, let's just talk a little bit about that. So, I mean, this is interesting, right? Because they set it up last week as almost like a charity golf kind of thing where it was easy and whatnot. Right. And I don't know if they, did they have amateurs play at all early in the week or something? Is that, is that why it was set up easy, easier or what, why was it set up that way? I think they just wanted, they wanted it to be different. I mean, they didn't want to host the same turn, like the same thing two weeks in a row. And, and now you also, just said like, okay, they're going to grow the rough out, right? So how much can they grow it out in a week or in four days or whatever is the question. And then obviously they can roll the greens tighter or whatever. So, so we'll get that. But how do you, how does that impact how you think about the way people play? I mean, you have, I, I know you're, you, you don't want to give up too much about your system, but you know, like, does that, does that make it such that like putter, a guy that's good at putting, it, it becomes more influence now. Like, so Morikawa becomes less valuable because he's not quite as good a putter. And, you know, last week putting was much easier because um, the, the greens were easier. Uh, Is know, that a way to think about it or? That, that's, I'm not going to get into that stuff, Jeff. But that's a high level, <laughs> that's a high level conversation, right? I'm not, I'm not yeah. getting into any specifics. That's just an approach, right? 
I mean, right. I mean, if you think through it logically and then okay, you if you don't want to talk about it, we'll, 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 we'll talk about it. Yeah. Well, I wish I could. I mean, I, it's not that I have anything great to hide. I haven't, I should be honest and say, I haven't got a method yet for leveraging the important, the importance of rough length. Like <laughs> that is not a variable that goes into my model on a week by week basis. Well, what it's about for me? Either. What about the putting aspect of it though? Right. The putting aspect of it is interesting, right? Yeah, and there's some argument that when the greens are faster, that's a greater test of, of putting skill, right? But again, I don't, have the, I don't have enough data on how far, like trying to gather the data on how fast greens are playing on every tournament in the PGA Tour or even the European Tour, as far as I can tell, is not easy, right? And until you have that data, you can't make reliable determinations about the impact it's going to have on putting in a tournament. It takes a lot of man hours. It, that, that was a quarantine project for me. Well, there you go. Right. Um, and it's a project for us as well. I, I say us, there's one guy I'm working with on it. It's, it's probably not worth we'll it. That at some point. I'm being completely honest. If I had to go back, I wouldn't have done it. Okay. But now well, that you have it, Rufus, maybe you're just saying I'm not even really using it. But Yeah. So like, okay, but like specific, you know, names, matchups is there anything that you guys have looked at where you think there's edge that you you've you've gotten down on that you're comfortable talking about well sure, I, I can just look at what what we make the lines versus something like pinnacle i don't know if that's interesting like where we think the best bets are versus sure. pinnacle lines. and i'm guessing rufus is pretty much in line with these as well and i would be very interested to know if he is okay we'll um, see. i'm guessing you guys want u.s odds that we're Plus yeah, that, yeah like, it doesn't no make any sense the other odds it's like decimal points it's like weird the only intuitive one is decimal points as far as i'm concerned okay so the best bet against pinnacle i have right now is kevin streelman against mark leishman and i make the line minus 191 for kevin streelman and pinnacle's offering minus 121 that's that's quite a big discrepancy it is quite a big gap i'm pulling up my file with my matchup numbers have you have you used t times yet rufus before you say Uh, i have um but this this week i'm concerned with the weather that we're going to see some possible weather delays i mean it looks like scattered thunderstorms and so personally i'm 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 not going to want to take big a big stand on that just because you know it it could the, the weather forecast could look favorable for one sort of tea time group, but at the same time, if there's a delay and it pushes things back, then suddenly you kind of could swing the opposite way. That, that's have always like a, a concern. Probability of delay in your model? Do you say I like, or do you just fudge it and say? I don't. I just look. I mean, I, for me, it's like the thunderstorms. That's that's what the that's what's going to cause the delay, and and especially in the summertime, um, you're going to get a lot more of these it's late afternoon. Yeah, but I mean, I I look. You know, I don't know what what site you use for um for weather but probably the same one i mean i just use i just scrape weather underground it's not like the best in the world probably but i like the hourly thing we use dark Dark sky Sky. yeah i've heard dark people have told me dark sky is the best um i I figure they have to be fairly close but i don't know but i I make so just so just so people i make streelman wait don't don't people want my streelman leishman number i make streelman minus 136 um no i i just wanted to briefly explain there is, uh, and I think we've talked about this, there is, based on tee times, an expectation of, of what the weather and the conditions will look like that influence the models. Um, I don't think that that's or shattering that anyone would understand. Uh, 
Okay, we have time for a few more. Does does Will? Do you have any more interesting ones that Rufus can ruminate on? Do you have yeah, Do you have any about, outrights you like? Yeah, I've had a lot of outrights. Um, I can pull those up as well. I'm guessing. Do you like Ryan Moore, Rufus? My guess is you like Ryan Moore. I do like Ryan Moore. Yeah, okay. <laughs> nice. Should I have one more guess. Should I try and grudgingly. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll try and go two for two then. Um, what about uh, Jim Furyk? I was, right yes, I do like Jim Furyk as Why well. Why do you guys love Furyk every week? The dude's like ancient. Isn't he like 70? He, he's looked like he's oh, 70 no. since he was 25. Uh, how old is he? I've got it here. He's 50. He's four, oh, yeah, he's 50. Yeah, he's just he, he's 50. now eligible for the Champions Tour. But I make Furyk... 189 to one. Um, That was my latest run, which actually did. um, Or no, I think that run did not use the tea time stuff. Um, I'm going to make him lower than that. I'm just going to check it now. I'm going to make him lower than that just because of the impact of tea time. But if you're ignoring that, it's probably going to be more in line with what you have. You you have him, his tea time being favorable. Exactly. Hang on. Early, late. Yeah. Or late, early. I don't even remember. 110 to one. Uh, I think early late is the way to go, isn't it? It is, but the thing is, there's p- potential for thunderstorms. Yeah, At least last right. I checked, th- thunderstorms Thursday morning, and if if you have if you have rain in the morning, um, it's gonna. I mean, course will soften up and be gettable for the afternoon players, and that's something I don't really have data on that. Like saying, well, you know, after the rain, it's better. You know, I know that, mm. but I mean, I think logically, if you under, you know, if you know golf, I mean. The course is softer. Greens are going to be more receptive. It's going to be better conditions for scoring. Yeah. Okay. Any other uh, any other good matchups there? Jeff, Jeff's uh, like writing. Jeff, Jeff is like pulling pulling up his um, his bookie's site right now, and just before we release this podcast, he wants to make sure I'm front running, man. Out. I got no problem with ethics. All right. Here's uh, here's some names people might have actually heard of. Cantlay against Thomas. What do you make that, Rufus? You like? I'm guessing. Do you like Cantlay there? Yeah. Well, it's tea times again. I'm. Uh, I mean, so without the tea time stuff, um, I, I would make Thomas a, a sizable favorite there. I don't know what? what my number is. Okay, that's definitely different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, people. People love these. people. Yeah, I know a lot of people are um, big on Patrick Cantlay, and we're last week as well. Uh, I just. Um, I think it's more we're just not big on Thomas, right? Yeah. We don't think I'll just do come you out think, and say, Do you think Rory – do you have Rory as the top guy this week or Thomas? DeChambeau. Oh, wow. Okay. We're, we're, we're very different then. We, we make him uh, 16 to 1. And he's your, he's your top guy this week at 16 to yeah, 1? Yeah, but again, he has the right tee time, Right. He's, he's got the right path if there's no rain delay. I think what you're saying, Rufus, is dead on. I, I think it sounds like there's a really high probability that this could count for nothing because it's going to be rained off and going to be randomized somewhat. But for that's now... All, that's always the concern, right? I mean, if you end up like leveraging yourself with a bunch of teeth, like I, I hate being in a position where I'm on a bunch of things just because of this one thing, the tea time thing, and then suddenly it doesn't end up working out. But at yeah, the same time... Agreed. Uh, same I, guess, I wouldn't want to be mostly on the wrong side of it either. Right. That would also be very frustrating if you were if you overly conservative and it backfired. Yeah. Right? 
What do you guys make uh, McElroy versus DeChambeau? Hang on. It's got to be close to even at this point, right? Is that McElroy. a line on pinnacle? McElroy minus 118. Chris's line, Chris's matchup lines have gotten wide enough that you can drive a truck through them. And I blame you 100% Rufus for that. They've always been like that. <laughs> Why is though, that? Right? What's that? I mean, they, they've been they've been like thirty cent lines for uh, since like 2016, I think. Maybe okay, well, I, I still 2017. Blame you. I can still blame you. Well, I'm almost embarrassed to give my McElroy to Shambo line now. Now you like Deschambeau, I'm guessing. We're gonna. Yeah, I have, I have McElroy plus one two seven. Oh wow! Okay. Wow. Again, this is this is from a simulation from on without using the tee times. I have the other one. It's just. Except it's just not. I'd be on my really interface. interested to know your lines with assuming no thunderstorms. I mean, right? when I ran when I ran the weather effect yesterday, I mean, I think the biggest, I mean, the the most, if you looked at, I guess, the aggregate effect for both round one and round two, the most the one person gained over another person was a quarter of a stroke. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's that's less than what we have. I probably. I mean, I also like. I mean, I, I regress the things to the to zero a little bit as well. I mean, just cause, you know, I mean, I have data on previous weather, but the thing is like part of it's like, how, how accurate do you judge a forecast to be like two well, days this in is, advance? Okay. I need to speak to a meteorologist, right? Because I don't know if me guys that are coming up with forecasts are already regressing it to the mean, right? Are already saying, look, we think there's going to be 15 miles an hour of rain on Thursday, but you know, randomness, this is still three days away. Randomness and other variables come into play. We should call it closer to what the standard is for this time of year, which is 10 miles an hour. So the forecast we're going to put out is 13. Or do they just go for their boldest, purest projection of 15 miles an hour? That's a good question. But I mean, I, for me, I'm concerned largely with the timing of things. And I feel like, you know, they're saying, okay, some front is going to move through. Like, do you know exactly that the front's going to move through at 2 p.m., three days in yeah. advance? Or could it be at like 5 p.m. or 10 a.m.? which would change things in a massive way probably for, you know, for, for our golf betting. So agreed. I just, honestly, I don't, I, I tend to be somewhat conservative, but I just kind of like without any actual quantitative um, method, just kind of regressed to mean a certain amount. All right. I think that's good for now, guys. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, thanks for the golf picks, which Rufus never gives. Um, always kind of talks about them, but never really gives anything of substance. And by the time he anyone gets to him, he's moved the market so much that they're useless. Is there, Does he have is, one other thing to talk about? No, is there anything our guest wants to plug? Anything he's working on? Any uh, oh. Twitter handle? Anything like that? Not really. Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at saramek 21 I do put some golf stuff up there if anyone wants to check it out. That's awesome. about it. I'm not, you can try and find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm not that should be the ultimate mystery. We people should be trying to guess who the mystery guest was. Um, anyways, thank you guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. Almost, I almost said your name. Uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, with that, let's end the data analytically driven media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a letter.